transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. This American desert in December, the end of another calendar year here on planet Earth. Blizzards in the Sierra. Snow over the Great Basin, cold and windy up in the Mojave High Desert. So it's a good thing I finally got down to the post office and opened up box 1735 because... Along with a lot of other stuff, I'll have to set aside for another year. I was happy to see that the desert advent calendar had arrived. Just in time for the first of the month, I got the little compartment titled December 1st. Which I opened yesterday, but we can go through the motions tonight. Sometimes going through the motions serves a purpose, mysterious as it may be. Let's see what we've got here. Oh! Oh, well look at that, a a black widow spider. Nothing quite says goth Christmas like a beautiful red hourglass symbol carefully painted on every black widow by somebody locked inside a factory in Shanghai. The black widow, there's a little description here, is common all over North America, and there's a prettier version with a red and black spotted pattern from Spain all the way out to Asia. But here in the American Southwest, they are especially well known for being everywhere you'd imagine a black widow would be hiding and hanging in that awful sticky web. The bite's a bad one, and there's apparently something to that old saying about black widow venom being 15 times stronger than rattlesnake venom. But there's also not very much of it per spider. Per female spider, anyway. We do not often talk about the male because the black widow spider famously eats the male after the usual violent mating of the animal world. As opposed to human mating, which is mostly done online and doesn't actually involve mating. So they say in the New York Times, anyway. December 2. Well, let's open up this next one, December 2nd. Oh, this one smells good. 
There's some creosote seeds. All white and fuzzy like snowballs or tonsils. This is the final stage of the creosote flower. From those brilliant yellow little blooms you see in the warm months to the fuzzy little seed. American Indians have long used the plant for medicine. The creosote bush grows in all of the American Southwest states and all the states of the northern part of Mexico. But watch out before you start eating creosote. It's toxic to just about everybody except chuckwallas and desert iguanas. Now, jackrabbits will eat creosote when there's nothing else left, but they don't like it. Did you know the oldest plant in the world is a ring of ancient creosotes in Lucerne Valley, up past Johnson Valley and the Mojave in California? It dates back 10,700 years, and because these creosote rings are really self-regenerating clones... Is called King Clone. Hey, thanks uh, to the U.S. Marines for flying your helicopters back and forth over the studio exactly when I'm doing this show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for protecting the nation from me getting my show done. Well, it's basically Saturday now, almost. Might as well open up December 3. Oh, well, look at this. It's a little Ziploc bag with, what is that, ice crystals inside? Very festive. Experts say we'll still be finding these little baggies from Wonder Valley to Landers many decades from now. All right, let's open up the first Sunday of December, as this isn't really much fun to do alone when I'm not on the radio. Now come back here. Well, I barely got a look at it, but I think it's a cactus deer mouse. A juvenile, too. Juvenile delinquent. Took off with this little bit of apple I had on a napkin because I read somewhere a long time ago that eating an apple before you start talking on the radio is good for keeping your mouth sounds crisp and clear. strange slurps and such that you often hear people make when they are close to death. These little deer mice are so small, a good-sized scorpion will catch them and have a real feast. All sorts of desert creatures rely on the various deer mice and grasshopper mice for food. Snakes, owls, foxes, etc. I guess it's a good thing the cactus deer mouse reproduces so quickly and in such large numbers. December 5th. Why not? Seems like half the things in this 
advent calendar are alive, so either I'm going to let them out or they will just get out themselves. But here we have uh, a scorpion and a lollipop. Come on. What a dumb souvenir. I'm pointlessly cruel to the scorpions. Goodbye, scorpion lollipop. The desert is the kind of place you think maybe you might discover something. A treasure, maybe, the lost ark. Or some old glass bottles, or some old human bones from the 1990s, maybe. You know, biologists were still making weekend trips to the Mojave Desert in the last century. Car trips to catalog new species, new to the science books, at least. Low humidity, dry, sandy soils, infrequent rain, all of this contributes to the preservation of just about anything intentionally or accidentally abandoned to the desert. Back in December 1945, a year so rich in strange discoveries and momentous births and deaths that it has great significance as a symbolic beginning of our haunted modern era. A peasant farmer named Muhammad Ali al-Saman dug up a very old jar buried in the sands of Upper Egypt. Exactly why al-Saman was digging and what for and with whom and whether it was immediately before or after the blood feud murder and the triumphant eating of the victim's heart. And whether the local jinn was involved, supernatural involvement, all of that is somewhat confused, even 87 years later. This was the original story, thrilling and gruesome, which reached various antiquarians, historians, and biblical scholars in the year after the discovery. Young Muhammad Ali had, with an uncertain number of brothers and maybe cousins and maybe fellow grave-robbing small-town gangsters, dug up the pottery jar following the blood feud murder of the man who had recently killed Muhammad Ali al-Saban's father. And then, following the ancient way, I suppose... The triumphant young killers ripped open the victim's chest and pulled out his still-warm heart. And each member of the murder party bit off a big, bloody mouthful and gained magical strength from this ritual feast of the flesh of their foe. They might have also just been grave robbing as the hills beyond the town of Nag Hammadi had been used as a burial ground for ancient Egyptians going back to at least the 6th dynasty. Which was some 4,000 years ago, give or take several centuries. 
Egypt is so old that it was impossibly ancient to the ancient Greeks, to ancient Rome, in fact, to the ancient Egyptians of only 2,000 years ago. The Egyptians were building incredibly complex cities for both the living and the dead for thousands of years before Plato, before the Buddha, before a charismatic preacher from Galilee taught his followers an ancient Egyptian prayer that had once gone something like this. Hail gods who dwell in the house of the two truths. I know you and your names. Deliver me from the god Baba. I have not done evil, etc. The Lord's Prayer, more or less. Spell number 125 from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. A eulogy dedicated to the god Amen. A prayer recorded in ancient Egypt more than 15 centuries before the life of Jesus. Baba, by the way, is the terrible baboon god, chief of the baboons. O oh, Lord, deliver us from Baba, the great and terrible baboon bull. Amen. Anyway, Muhammad Ali al-Saban discovered this baker's dozen of dusty old leather-bound books in this ancient jar, sealed tightly with a bowl as its lid. Or his younger brother made the discovery while digging for natural fertilizer, guano from bats or birds or both, that collected beneath a dramatic cliff over the Nile called Habal al-Tarif. And then the elder brother took command. Figuring the books might be worth something, he brought them home and threw them on the floor of the humble village home he shared with his mother, who would yank an unknown number of papyrus pages from these ancient books to use as kindling in her kitchen fire. But most of the books survived, more or less as they were found, Thirteen codices in all, or twelve plus a collection of loose pages stuck in another codex, which is a bound book, each one written by hand, as all books were until Gutenberg more than a thousand years later. Codex sounds so modern, so technical, but it's Latin for book. Matrix is another word that sounds... Well, like this fake computer world we mostly live within. Well, this computer world that harvests our outrage and disappointment into advertising dollars, shareholder value. But Matrix first appears in the New Testament. No, that's not right. It's in the Old Testament. in the story of Abraham and Sarah. As translated by William Tyndale in the early 16th century, 15 and 25 was the year he completed his translation into English. 
The plural matrices refers to the plural of the womb, the mother's womb. Later, matrix referred to any environment where something developed, eventually used uh, as a term in photography, too. William Tyndale, whose real name was William Hitchens, was strangled to death for his trouble and his body burnt at the stake. They were really after the Protestants in those days. Many years of intrigue and smuggling and bribes followed the original reports of the momentous find near Nakamati. But Muhammad Ali al-Saban paused before he broke the seal on that ancient jar. That's what he told the biblical scholar James M. Robinson from Claremont in the 1970s. Because Muhammad Ali al-Saban feared that there was a spirit held inside which had been held inside since ancient times. A jinn, a jenny, what we call a genie. In an old jar, a bottle, you could say. But his interest in treasure trumped his fear of the jinn within which was released on that day into the modern world, 1945. The year that saw the death of Hitler, of FDR, of Mussolini. The year America dropped atomic bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The year the Arab League was formed, along with the United Nations. Vannevar Bush published his As We May Think in that year, too, proposing a hypertext collective memory machine, which he called the Memex. Within that jar were books hidden away during the 4th century, likely by Coptic monks living and working in a nearby monastery just a couple of miles from the place of discovery. It was during this time that the New Testament had come into its orthodox form. And the many, many books outside this newly official collection were supposed to be destroyed as they were heretical. The three centuries of variation in Christian theology and practice and Holy Scripture had come to an end. But rather than follow orders from Alexandria or Rome, somebody hid away this forbidden library. included philosophical musings, a variety of prayers, and a lot of what sounds like Buddhist thought. No surprise, as Buddhist missionaries were living and working in Alexandria since the 3rd century BC, they also contained alternate gospels, variations of phrases attributed to Jesus in the Orthodox Bible. 
And at least one of these was as old as the four Gospels we know today. And probably older than the Gospel of John, itself far more Gnostic than traditional Christians would care to admit. With all its talk of information arriving that would then take shape as the reality we experience in this lifetime, information that could even provide the precise line-by-line program that would create a god in the body of a man, the son of a carpenter, from the matrix of his mother Mary. The Gospel of Thomas is the most surprising for a first-time reader, and it gets richer and stranger over time as you accumulate more knowledge through the mediums of Codex and Memex and Matrix. Let's read a few lines of this ancient book, said to be the work of... Well, did you know Jesus had a twin brother? That's what Thomas means twin. The doubting Thomas and the Acts of the Apostles is, according to the Gospel of Thomas, the identical twin brother of Jesus of Galilee. The twin who survived the persecution of his brother and eventually, this also according to the early Christians of India, who date the founding of their church to the arrival of Thomas in the first century A.D., who eventually brought the gospel of his brother to the East. Journeys that are mentioned by several contemporary historians of the Greco-Roman era. From the Gospel of Thomas, translated by Thomas O'Lambden. These are the secret sayings which the living Jesus spoke and which Didymus Judas Thomas wrote down. And he said, Whoever finds the interpretation of these sayings will not experience death. Jesus said, Let him who seeks continue seeking until he finds. When he finds, he will become troubled. When he becomes troubled, he will be astonished. And he will rule over the all. Jesus said, If those who lead you say to you, See, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will precede you. If they say to you, It is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. Rather, the kingdom is inside of you. And it is outside of you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will become known. And you will realize that it is you who are the sons of the living Father. But if you will not know yourselves, you dwell in poverty. And it is you who are that poverty. Verse 4, Jesus said, The man old in days will not hesitate to ask a small child seven days old about the place of life, and he will live. For many who are first will become last, and they will become one and the same. 
Jesus said, Recognize what is in your sight, and that which is hidden from you will become plain to you. For there is nothing hidden which will not become manifest. His disciples questioned him and said to him, Do you want us to fast? How shall we pray? Shall we give alms? What diet shall we observe? Jesus said, Do not tell lies, and do not do what you hate, for all things are plain in the sight of heaven. For nothing hidden will not become manifest, and nothing covered will remain without being uncovered. dollars flying overhead all the time, cracking our stucco, thank you Pentagon, from Amboy to Zizix and across the great Mojave wilderness and beyond, this is Desert Oracle Radio. Red, blue, black, silver makes the soundscapes, and I am your host, Ken Lane. Desert Oracle broadcasts from Joshua Tree from our home station, KCDZ 107.7 FM. And on your home station, if you're listening elsewhere tonight, Maybe we have the same home station. That's probably the case for uh, a lot of us. Also, KZMU FM and Moab in the Castle Valley, Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Now, next week, we are going to open up some more of our desert advent calendar. I hope you got yours. They sell out earlier every year. It seems like... Boy, as soon as Thanksgiving comes around, you can't find a desert advent calendar to save your life. The history and the translations that I was reading from tonight are mostly found in a fantastic, thick paperback reference, very affordable, uh, called the International Edition of the Nag Hammadi Scriptures, the revised and updated translation of sacred Gnostic texts, complete in one volume, edited by Marvin Meyer, with an advisory board including Wolf Peter Funk. That's a good singer name. And Paul Hubert Poirier, and the aforementioned James M. Robinson with an introduction by uh, the terrific Elaine Pagels. Good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>